Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's guest is one of my favorite podcasters and someone who I've gotten to know fairly well over the past year, and that is Lindsay Hine, who is the host of I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. One of the best running podcasts out there. And in this episode, we talk a lot about her podcast and we kind of trade notes and just talk about the process and what she what she does with all the guests, booking the guests, some of her favorite conversations or favorite moments on the show uh, and where she sees the show going in the next year, two, three years from now. And we also, of course, of course, we talk about her running. So she just gave birth several weeks ago to her little man, Sandy, her fourth child, her fourth boy, in fact. And I know she is excited when she's uh, you know, ready, willing and able to kind of get out there and attack some of her running goals that she had you know, before she basically started having, um, you know, these these four kids and having, uh, you know, significant surgeries and injuries and all of those things. So she has four kids over the last six years, and that can take a toll. But she's still young. She's ready to get out there and try some new things. So we talk a lot about that, and it's uh, it really is exciting to see her get back at it because she has really run well when she's had the opportunity to train, um, you know, for a good solid training block. But over the last six years, she really hasn't had that two-year span where you can really make the most of the training month after month and then year after year. And uh, we talk a lot about what that would feel like and what she might be able to do in that circumstance. And we also talk about her entrepreneurial spirit. This is someone who has gone out of her way to kind of create something out of nothing with her podcast and it is so popular now and it reaches so many people and it really is uh, a hard endeavor to do. And I am just always curious how someone's able to do something like that, especially when their endeavor is something that you know hits close to home for me as a fellow podcaster. So that's enough out of me. Here is my interview with Lindsay Hine. Hello, Lindsay, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, and I was really excited to have you on the show because I haven't had somebody on the show yet who I actually am a big fan of their podcast. In fact, I was actually pretty uh, pretty nervous to get on the call today, and it was uh, the first time I've been nervous to do a show in a while for that exact reason. But you shouldn't be nervous because we're like friends. I know. We talk fairly frequently. Yeah. You know, I've, done, I've done 100 shows already. You That's think, crazy. You'd think I'd be over it by now. Right. But it's, it's funny how these things pop up. Um, with that being said, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. It's sometimes it's way more fun to be on the other side of the interview. I know I've done it a couple times and it, it does feel like it feels like this feeling. It's like the, the burden is completely off your shoulders and you just like go for it. I just have to have good answers. You have to do all the work they're researching. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, speaking of researching art, right, so your first show came out on April 4th, 2016. So when you did that show, did you think that you would be doing podcasts with Desland and not only once, but twice? And I say that in the context of you just got off the phone with her <laughs> and here you are, you know, having her on for multiple times within a year. What was the vision when you first started your show? Yeah, I mean, I think that when I first started my show, 
be more friends and people that I knew. I mean, I had high hopes of interviewing big names, but I didn't know that it would turn into as many elite runners as I talk to now. Um, I try to make it diverse in the way that I have everyday runners, like the people that are on your show frequently. Um, But I do like interviewing the professional runners as well. And so I, I don't think that I envision interviewing as many professional runners as I do, but I have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and let me just tell you this does interview that I just did this. It's she's the second time she's been on my show. I have literally been emailing, uh, her agent since the day after Boston and I finally got the interview. So, I mean, I'm not joking. I probably tried to nail this down with at least 15 different emails to him. So I I'm very persistent when I want to get someone on the show. I've heard you talk about that before, and I think the line that I heard you use on a couple of different occasions is that in this regard, you have absolutely no shame. <laughs> if there's something that you, if there's somebody you want on your show, you're gonna like go for it, like full speed ahead until they basically say, "Knock it off." Well, right, and I've only one person has ever just straight up told me no, and that was Chrissy Wellington, which is totally random. She's a really famous triathlete. She's like won Kona a bunch of times, and. I loved her book. It was great. Yeah. Uh, what's her book called? Beyond Limits or something yeah. like that? I read, actually, I read her book when I was training for my one and only half Ironman I ever did. And I don't know why she just was on my list. And the first time I reached out to her, she was like, no, I'm on maternity leave. And then the second time I reached out to her a year later, she was like, basically just like, I'm not interested. <laughs> and like, it's a hard no is like so much better than like an indifferent or non-response. Yeah. Like, All right. I can move on. This is great. That's exactly right. Cause a non-response you're like, well, I guess I'll just keep following up a hard. No, like hurts your feelings a little bit. Cause you're like, well, why not? But, um, it, you're right about that. Cause it's like, well, now I can just say she's not going to come on my show. I mean, I'll probably email her again in like three years, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's always funny. Well, you mentioned before how like you try to have like a diverse group. You have a lot of pros on now, but you try to vary it up. But I think one of the parts of your show that is really fun to listen to is that while you are talking to some of the best runners in the world, both male and female, the way you talk to them and how the conversation ends up coming about is very like, not only is it conversational, but it's not just about running or even if it's about running, it's like about running in a way that a lot of people can relate to. Now, is that by choice? Is that how you purposefully frame the show? Or is that just kind of your personality taking over? Well, thank you. I appreciate that because that's what I want it to be. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I do think it's my personality. Um, I think as time has gone on, you know, like if I look back and think of the first couple professional runners I interviewed or even just like bigger names in my mind, um, I did get a little bit nervous and I think I was would move like straight from question to question to question. Um, but as I've gone on and gotten to, um, kind of learn how to interview people and have conversations with people that are a little bit more free flowing. Um, I've gotten better at just being like, I can talk to this person. Like they're my friend. And that was my vision from the start anyway, that people would be listening in and thinking, Oh, I want to be a part of this conversation. This is fun. This is what I would talk about with my girlfriends. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of turned into that. But that's a hard, that's a hard nut to crack though, because you're talking to people who get interviewed a lot, and they have rote responses and they have certain answers that they that they can give in their sleep, and that's not a negative. It just kind of comes with the job. 
when you're a professional athlete. So kind of getting past the point of just them on repeat must be, must be tricky. Do you have to kind of strategize for that sometimes? Yeah, I, it totally depends on the person too. And I always try to say when I um, reach out to people, whether I'm communicating with them or their agent, um, I really try to make sure when I communicate with them that I say, this is supposed to be a fun, light, casual conversation so that they kind of get that going into it. And there are certain people that I've interviewed who, you know, when I, before I interview someone, I'll like try to find YouTube videos and things where I see them talking and I see the kind of answers they give and I see their personalities. So depending on the person, I prepare in a different way. So someone like a Molly Huddle who seems to be a little bit shy and, you know, probably isn't like super just going to jump right into things and get, you know, crazy about stuff. Um, I prepare in a different way and I prepare way more questions for someone like that opposed to maybe someone like a Des Linden who I think kind of could get into more of like a natural, casual conversation. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. I interviewed Emily Sisson when I was the host of the Providence College podcast. Mm-hmm. So she's a, she's a PC grad. And I was like, oh, this is going to be super easy. Like, I'm going to be able to inter- – so I've been doing it for nine months at that point. So we- it was a weekly podcast, all interviews. So I've got I've gained a little experience. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm a runner. She's a runner. This is going to be the easiest interview I do all year. This is just going to flow. <laughs> and, like, I completely underprepared because of it. And, like, after 10 minutes, like, again, nothing against her. She was just kind of like, yeah, this is what happened. That's what happened. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh-oh, I am in some serious trouble here. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I'm like minute 13 and I like going through like my full page of notes already. (laughs) And I was like, this is not going to come out very good. Well, and that's the thing with people who are used to being interviewed a lot. Like you said, they have canned answers, but also like some people are very used to being precise and to the point. And then you're like, Oh shoot, where do I go from there? Or they might not understand the back and forth banter. So like you might make a comment that could, uh, you know, provoke them to say something back, but then they don't. And then you're left sitting there like, all right, well, (laughs) moving on. Right. Or like the person who, and this has happened to me so many times where like, I feel like they've ended the sentence. Yes. And then they've just like paused for clarity and like in their own mind. And like, I jump in and like completely cut them off. And you're like, Oh, well, yeah, that that was not ideal. And I learned, um, you know, I list, I don't know. Have you ever listened to Tim Ferriss's podcast? Yeah. I, I haven't listened in a long time, but there was a season where I listened to it all the time. And he did one specific episode on podcasting and interviewing. And I was like, I definitely have to listen to this. And one thing he said was, always just wait. And, um, you know, like if someone doesn't fully answer your question or – if you ask the question and they don't start speaking right away, don't feel like you have to jump in and like re-explain yourself because they're probably just thinking. And, you know, that's the beauty about editing a podcast is you can just like edit out that pause, even if it's 15 seconds, which feels like an eternity as the host. I know it's so true. And it always seems to happen like in the first 20 minutes where you're still nervous, like you want not nervous about the conversation, but you want to go well and you're not sure yet how it's going. Um, It's funny how like for me, I had to relearn that lesson because as a major gift fundraiser, which is like my full time job, that's something that's ingrained to you right away. So if you make a major gift ask or ask of, say, for the annual fund or whatever, 
like say you make the ask, say, Lindsay, we, we would love, we'd really appreciate it if you made a gift of $1,000 to Johnson Wales University. And it's like full stop. <laughs> you don't speak again until they speak. Like if it's 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes. Like do not say another word. And it's like, it's uncomfortable because every single second that goes by, it feels like a minute. Isn't that true, though, that silence in general can be uncomfortable? It's a gift to just be able to be like, I'm going to sit in the silence. I find myself even in a room full of friends. Like, if people stop talking, I'm like, okay, um, you know, what can I do to, like, pep this up a little bit? And I think that's just kind of a personality thing as well. And sometimes I, I do get to the point where I'm like, you know, if I'm with a group of quieter people, I kind of just tell myself, like, you don't have to be the person, like, constantly guiding the conversation and bringing stuff up. Oh, my God. This is like giving me deja vu. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I, like, the first time I ever experienced that, this is going to be, like, the height of embarrassment. But I remember, like, having my mom drive me on a date when I was, like, 15. So, like, I'm, like, the back <laughs> of the minivan with my date. And, like, she's driving us to the movies. And I was like, did that exact same thing. Like she was super quiet and I like needed to fill all the space. Like mm-hmm. no quietness was allowed. I remember after the, like at the end of the night, I'm dropping her off and my mom's like, Hey Matt, just want to give you a heads up. Like it's totally fine for there to be like, you know, two seconds of silence. Oh, <laughs> your mom. That's so sweet. <laughs> She's giving you a little PSA. Little PSA. And I'm like, as if tonight wasn't bad enough. Now I'm getting like, you know, dating advice one second after the date ends. But did you get a second date? She actually like became a very good friend of mine. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was a win. It was a win. <laughs> That's but awesome. I think, I think I firmly implanted myself in the friend zone at that point. Yes. So yes, <laughs> no doubt about it. All right. So I heard you say something on your 100th podcast where you had your good friend interview you, um, which was great, by the way. Thanks. Um, both of you did a great job. She was a natural um, and you were, she- you were very captivating. She's very smart and brilliant and witty. And I knew, I knew of all the people that I've had on the show, I I knew that she would be, I knew she would take it seriously and I knew she would do a good job. And I knew that she knew me well enough, but she wasn't like a sister or like a very best friend. So I thought that, yeah, Maggie uh, Dials, that's who did it. I thought she did a great job. Yeah, she really did. And one thing that you mentioned, it really hit home for me because I've had the same experience was you talked about how some of the best podcasts that you did are actually some of your least downloaded because mm-hmm. the people who they were with were relatively unknown to the community that normally listens to your show. And I have the exact, the exact same thing. I wouldn't call it a problem, but I've had the exact same thing happen to me, which is so funny because you want to like shot it from the rooftops, but you like, you don't want to at the same time. Cause it's almost like if you don't highlight a show, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's like those shows. So for me, my most downloaded episodes are going to be like the big runners, right? And same for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Des Linden, that'll be a huge download episode. But then also like um, someone who is a has a big Instagram presence in the running community but isn't a professional runner. Those will get great downloads, too. You know, like um, – uh, I'm trying to think of someone who, who would fit that bill. Like, a, you know, like you, you had Laura Anderson on your show recently or like Michelle Gonzalez or one of those, those will get good downloads. But then I'll have like, um, like my friend Maggie 
or Jessica Honiger. She's we didn't talk about running at all in her interview, but she's the founder of Noonday Collection. She's a female entrepreneur. She's got a great story. So those episodes aren't going to get downloaded as much, but they're just as inspiring. And to me, they're some of my favorite episodes. And it's funny because those are the episodes that I'll send to people who aren't runners, who don't listen to my show. And I'm like, hey, I know you're not into running. We don't even talk about running in this episode. Check it out, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because I have that same feeling. And I'm like, all right. When I choose guests, though, I feel like I'm always kind of like going on both sides of the ledger. Right. I like sometimes I'll pick people who are like, I know this is going to be a very fascinating conversation. However, I can probably guess what the listenership will be. And like, yeah. there's also the allure of like maybe having someone on the show who maybe I'm not as jazzed to talk to, but I know would probably garner more listens. Yeah. And so then your hope there is that uh, those new listeners that come because of that person will stick around. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's tough. I know it's really tough to figure out. And yeah, I mean, some of my best conversations are my lowest downloaded shows, but here's the deal. You have faithful listeners. I have faithful listeners. We both do. And like the, the people that are listening every week are going to listen regardless of who the episode is. Cause it's like their ritual. I have podcasts like that, I, that I am faithful listener to. So um, I think that when I craft my, questions and conversations and the people that are on the show, I'm truly thinking about like those people because I'm like, those, that's like my crew. Those are like my, that's like my posse, you know, like those are the people that are supporting me every single week. And so, um, while the big names are enticing and yes, I bring them on, I'm bringing them on because I think those people are going to care, you know? Exactly. I, one big name that you had on was Jordan Hesse. And I thought this was just like the funniest moment I think I've heard in your show. It was, it was funny. Like it was like unintentional comedy. I think the unintentional comedy of this moment was like, <laughs> what was it? I don't it was right near the end of your show. You're like about to finish up. I'm never going to forget. I literally know exactly where I was <laughs> on my run when this happened. And she was like, I was, I like wrote down the quote. I'm like, I got to ask Lindsay this whenever I have her on the show. I was like, and she said something like, I was hoping you'd ask me to be on the show. I was wondering if I was a good enough runner to be on the show. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Lindsay's probably like, dude, I've been trying to have you on the show forever. Like, of course I want you to be on the show. Well, you know, it's funny because I think I had messaged her on her website like a long time ago. And I always wonder like, where do those messages go? Like who's fielding those comments? Like, I don't know if this person's ever going to see it. But then I messaged her and maybe I didn't like submit it right or something, but then I messaged her. Um, you know, before Boston and she got back to me pretty quickly, like her agent forwarded me the message. So apparently her agent is checking the contact form on her website. And, um, she said, Oh, I just got done, um, listening to a couple of your episodes as I was like stretching. And I was thinking, Oh my gosh, Jordan Hesse listens to my podcast. That's crazy. And then, um, yeah. And then she was like, I was wondering if, you know, you even knew who I was. <laughs> LOL. That's classic. Yeah. I can't, like, I remember, like, I was, like, gobsmacked. I think I almost, like, fell off the sidewalk when I heard that. I was like, <laughs> this is, like, I'm sure Lindsay must have, like, the biggest smile on her face, like, hearing that comment. Because yeah, it's like, ah, like, oh. oh, no, like, you're well more well-known than I am. <laughs> yeah, and I totally, she was great. I didn't, you know, it's like, when you prepare for these interviews, you really don't know 
how easy and natural the conversations are going to be, but she was really, really easy to interview and have a conversation with and get real with, I mean, get vulnerable with and not just feel like I had to stick to a script. I felt like I could ask her meaningful questions, you know, like when I interviewed Jordan, I really wanted to, the two things I wanted to bring up were her mom and, uh, who passed away, you know, kind of suddenly a few years ago. And then I wanted to talk about Alberto and I wanted to see what her thoughts were on like the negative views of allegations of doping and his program and things like that. And to me, those are the hard things to bring up. It wasn't that bringing up her mom wasn't hard for me. Um, I, I was like, no matter what I'm bringing up her mom, because if, if I were in her shoes, I would want people to talk about my mom, you know, like I would want people to ask me about that. Um, and then with Alberto, I, I knew my listeners would want to know, you know, her thoughts on, on that. So she made those questions easy for me though. And I really was grateful for that. Yeah. I was curious, like, as like, as a fellow podcaster, I'm like, is she going to ask about Alberto? Is she going to do it? Like, does she, does like, is it going to be the last question she asks, you know, like try to get herself in yeah. like, a good spot. And it was right. Like cause... good. Yeah. I get the interview to good, like make sure I get all the other stuff in first in case she was like, meh about it. <laughs> right. And now that we're friends. Yeah. yeah exactly. Tell me about Alberto. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's interesting, right? You don't know how it's going to go, but you're right. She did make it very, um, very easy, as you put it, very easy on you. And, um, I guess it's a sign of her character for sure. Cause she certainly knows it's coming or like there's, an, there's a chance it's going to come, but it's a hard, hard topic. That's for sure. Well, and that's always the debate too. Do you, a- do I ask ahead of time? Can I bring this up or do I just roll the dice and go with it? Or do I roll the dice and say, Hey, I'm going to bring this up. If you want to skip it, we can skip it. And so a lot of times I'll either preface or once I ask the question, then I'll say, and if you don't want to answer that, like I can totally, you know, just edit this part out. I don't think I did that with her because I don't feel like I felt like I needed to. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, you're back to running now. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that. I know you had your first run since, as you put it, Sandy Boy. Sandy Boy. the world. Yeah. Um, which is always fun and exciting. And you did your, your first run out with the whole crew. I know in the past you've waited, as you put it, the full, the full six weeks for yep. your other your other kids was that the, was that the time frame this 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 go around so i ran 1 mile at 5 weeks postpartum this time um pushing sandy in the stroller and my husband pushed the other three boys in the triple stroller um Oof. i have always waited the full 6 weeks and i i'll tell you i did that run 5 weeks postpartum and then i didn't run again until i hit the 6 weeks 6 week mark and it it was only 1 mile it was like a 10 minute mile Um, but I did it because I was feeling super anxious that day. And so, um, my husband was like, why don't we just like, why don't you just go for like a very short run and it'll make you feel better. And I felt comfortable enough with my body and I've done this enough times that I was like, I I knew that running one mile wasn't going to like, you know, hurt my postpartum journey or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, generally I wait six weeks and basically I've done that again. And, and I like that because. I like giving myself that time to not have to worry about anything else. Um, that being said, this pregnancy, I stopped running at 31 weeks and I have ran up to 40 weeks on all my other pregnancies at 41 weeks on my third pregnancy. So it's, 
it's been a long time since I ran. I mean, it's literally the longest time I've ever gone without running since ever, you know, since I could run because, you know, when you're a kid, you run all the time, you're just always running. And, um, I started running cross country in high school. So since then I've never taken a break like this. The longest I've ever taken is I think I took 10 weeks when I tore my plantar fascia. And other than that, it's always been like just six week breaks from surgeries and babies. So this was a long time coming. Now, was that hard to deal with or were you, were you cool with it? So I, both, I think there are lots of days I was cool with it. Lots of days, you know, like my husband, Glenn would be going out and running in the morning and coming home. And I'd be like, bah! like, you know, like you're getting this like satisfaction that I'm so used to getting. And, um, and then there were days where I would be frustrated and I, you know, it's like, I couldn't even like realize, okay, I know that if I could just go for a run right now, I would feel better. But I really, truly, this pregnancy, I was just more tired than I've ever been, probably because of how many kids I had at this point. Um, and I just, I just didn't feel good. And when I would run, it, it didn't make me happy. Like I, I, that's the day I decided I'm not doing this anymore because I, I went out for a run. I think I was going to try to run 30 minutes. That's pretty much like my go-to when I'm like, just go do, th- you know, just get 30 minutes in and you'll feel better. And I remember I started this run and I was just like, this is terrible. Like I'm not enjoying this. And then I was thinking like, Lindsay, like you're wise enough, old enough, smart enough to know that if you're not enjoying something, why are you going to spend your time doing it? So I just made the decision right then to just hang it up for the rest of the pregnancy because every time I went for a run, it was uncomfortable. And so I think that it was hard for me, um, just to not have that mental outlet that I was used to having that I've, you know, had my whole life. Absolutely. Was there any fear of missing out as well? Or were you able to put that to bed? No, not, not a fear of missing out. I mean, so I think each pregnancy has been different for me. You know, it's like, so I have four kids now and the first pregnancy, gosh, it seems like so long ago, it was seven years ago now. Cause my oldest is six. And I think with that, it was kind of like, I had something to prove not to everybody else, but to myself, you know, like I had never done this before. I'd never been pregnant before and been able to figure out running through pregnancy. So to me, it was like this new fun thing, like, Oh, I'm going to see how far I can make it. And it was in a healthy way. Um, and then the second baby kind of the same thing. And I just wanted to keep up and stay active. And then I got less motivated with the third and the fourth. I just like the motivation was not there because I was just chasing all these kids around. And it was just kind of like, I felt, I feel like I was more active than I've ever been not exercising because of chasing all the other kids around. You know, it's like with my first pregnancy, it's like, well, when I wasn't working and I wasn't running, like I could just kick up my feet and watch TV, you know? (laughs) And so I didn't have, I, you know, the more kids you have, you don't have that. So I felt like I was being active and I was healthy enough without the exercising, the running. Yeah, that makes sense. And even postpartum with the first one, I remember my wife, when my daughter, who's six as well, my oldest is six, um, I see the first month or so, maybe the first six weeks, like her, seeing her complain to her mom, she's like, this is so boring. 
Mm-hmm. I just sit on the couch <laughs> all the time. Like, I am so bored. And my mother-in-law is like, this isn't going to help you, but you are going to wish for this. Enjoy it. Later yeah. in your life. Like, you are going to wish for the day that you could spend 45 minutes on the couch three different times in the day. And she's my wife's like, yeah, no, no, it's not, you don't, you don't understand. My mother-in-law, of course, is like, you know, has, has three kids. You, of course, of course you understood. But that time, <laughs> like you just, you can't, you can't really see that. And it's so funny. Like when you bring that up, I can't help but like envision your little man, Russell, like, oh. who, I swear to God is the craziest kid I've ever he's seen in my so life. Crazy. And you know, heart of gold, I'm sure, but he's crazy. And it's like watching him on your Instagram stories, like, makes me tired oh just like witnessing it he is by far the craziest of well i can't say the four because i don't know what sandy's going to be like when he's a toddler but yeah russell is and i mean my first one was really active and crazy too um my second was a little bit more low-key as a baby and a toddler but man russell is he's non-stop you you cannot leave him in a room for 12 seconds by himself. I mean, I, I will say he's, he's sort of turned a little bit of a corner and I'm going to say like the past three or four weeks, but I mean, it's the kind of thing where like you walk out of the room and he's got an entire uh, thing of formula dumped all over the floor oh, in God. the 12 seconds that you walked to the laundry hamper. I mean, it's like anything he can think of to get his hands on, he will. And even if you think you've proofed child proofed everything, like he'll find a way to destroy something so I mean I just like come to terms with the fact that there's going to be like crayons all over my wall and soap uh, all over the floor in the bathroom and that's just like what my life is going to be like for right now because if I try to control it um, as much as I'd like I'd go crazy there you go I guess it takes that amount of, it takes that self-awareness once you get thrown into the fire like that um, especially with, with you, you know, having two kids already and then at the time, another one on the way. So now that Sandy's six or seven weeks old, how are you feeling now? And how does that compare to, um, past postpartums? Yeah, I, I'm, so let me just say, I'm feeling good today. Um, <laughs> I've had quite significant postpartum anxiety this time around, uh, which I get every uh, postpartum, every pregnancy, I have dealt with anxiety, uh, differently each time. And so I kind of like, every time I have a baby, I kind of, now that I've done this before I go into this postpartum phase, like knowing this is going to happen. I need to figure out a way to, you know, breathe through it and get through it and know that in six months, um, I'm going to feel a lot more myself let alone in a year from now, I'm going to feel even more myself. I mean, that's the thing is it, it takes a long time for your hormones to level back out. At least for me, it does. And so, you know, even today when I was getting ready to go, I have Wednesdays, my babysitter day. And right now I normally have the youngest with me while the babysitter's here. But, um, today I left Sandy, the youngest, he's almost seven weeks. I left him with her for like three hours with the, the other two. Um, my oldest was at school. And I just remember as I was walking out the door today thinking, don't forget you aren't even seven weeks postpartum right now. You know, like, so don't think you have to do all these things. Don't think you have to accomplish all these things today. 
And then I thought back to even to, you know, when I was two weeks postpartum, I was doing an interview with someone because it's just something popped up that I wanted to interview someone on. And it's almost like you don't realize it at the time how uh, fragile you are. You know, like I'm thinking even now I'm fragile. And in six weeks, I'll look back at this time and think, oh, my gosh, you were interviewing Des Linden and you were being interviewed on Matt's podcast. And who did you think you were, you know, doing all those things? Because I'm going to feel that much better six weeks from now. Um, so, man, if, if anybody listening is going through that, like if they're if you're in the postpartum phase or you remember it so clearly because you're only six weeks or six months removed, man, these hormones are real and it's hard and um, you're not alone. I say that because I felt alone a lot in this. I, I feel alone a lot um, in the postpartum weeks. So it's tough. Yeah, because – Again, I can't obviously know exactly what you're going through for the most obvious of reasons, <laughs> but it seems like it would, it must be somewhat hard, if not harder than that, to kind of delineate between, okay, this is just a horrible, this is coming from the hormones, this is a hormonal response versus like, no, like I'm just upset because this is upsetting. Or yeah. Like, I'm yeah. emotional because I should be emotional right now. Is there like, is it hard to delineate between those two yes. as you even, even leaving the fourth time around? Yes. Yeah. It's like, it, am I being crazy or are these my hormones or am I just feeling extra anxious because I'm an anxious person? Like it's so hard. And you know, like my husband can read me like a book and he, he sees it so clearly and I'm so thankful for him because he knows by now how to handle me uh, when my hormones are crazy like this. But yeah, it's really hard. Um, and so it's just, I don't know. You just got to, there's this fine line. I was just talking to, I got my hair cut today and I was talking to my friend Brittany who was cutting my hair and I was like, there's this fine line between like obsessing over like self-care and being gentle with yourself and, and being kind to yourself and like just freaking like bucking up and taking care of stuff, you know, like you know, because anytime I post anything, people are always like with the kindest of intentions and I get it. They're like, oh, make sure you're taking time for yourself. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. And I'm like, trust me, people, like I have no problem taking care of myself. Like I've got no problem going to get a pedicure. I've got no problem like telling my husband I need two hours to just lay in bed by myself. Um, But part of me is also like, it's okay to have that mentality. And, but for some of the time, it's also okay to have the mentality of uh, put your big girl pants on. This is hard. You can do hard things and don't give yourself a pity party. And yeah, it's guess what? You have four kids ages six and under and like this is going to be a lot of work, but you signed up for it. So um, you can take care of yourself, but you got to kind of like be, be strong about this and not, not serve up too many pity parties. Yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of parallels to like serious running training. Oh, sure. And that, in sure. that exact in that exact same thing of like, make sure you're recovering. You're like, yeah, dude, I'm trying to recover, but I feel like crap and I got to chase these kids around. So, yeah, I'm not really recovering. Yeah, like <laughs> you can do a hard workout on tired legs. Like that's what marathon training is. Like that's what you signed up for. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then like you have like the Joe DeSantis of the world running like Spartan. And it's like, you know, like 
hey, do tough things. If you're not, if you're, if you're comfortable, then you're doing something wrong. And you're like, oh God, all I want to be is comfortable. How am I going to do that? Well, yeah. And like, that's what I tell the people that I coach all the time. You know, like you usually get to a point in your marathon training cycle and people will be like, is this normal? Should I feel this tired? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it really is like you're, if you're like six weeks out from a marathon, you're going to, your legs are going to be really tired right now if you're doing it right. So that's, that's okay. And it's okay to feel fatigued during your workouts and you can still do good workouts and, and, um, accomplish great things. But yeah, it's going to be hard if, if you're pushing yourself. For sure. And you've pushed yourself quite hard in a lot of different areas over the last six or seven years. And from a running perspective, you've had to manage not only obviously, um, you know, giving birth to four kids, but you also have a situation where you want, you have running goals and we're going to talk about like your future running goals, which I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah. But you've had running goals in that time period as well. And you have a husband who's a very active runner and you have a booming running podcast. So how was it for you managing your own running goals in the context of all those other factors? Well, I, I think that one thing I have learned over the past few years is um, to take it seriously, but not take it too seriously. And I say that because I, I did run a marathon after my third baby and was fortunate enough to be able to come away with a PR, which was a big deal to me. It was, I was one year postpartum and it was a, a PR that I hadn't, See, let's see. I ran a three thirteen marathon in um, March two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Nope, two thousand thirteen. It was two thousand thirteen, March two thousand thirteen. And since then, I had gotten in shape to run way faster than that. But it just it never happened because of injuries and surgeries and things that popped up. And so it was a really long time coming. So then, so that was four years later, right? four years. Yeah. Cause yeah. it was 2017. Yeah. That I ran the 311, 52. And, um, I think in that training, just at that part of my life with three kids, uh, my mother-in-law was very sick and we had a lot of family stuff going on. I just kind of like learned how to, uh, though running was still like a big priority in my life, I, I learned how to make it not so center. You know, because it couldn't be. It was a big part and and it was a big priority of mine because I wanted to run well and I it made me feel good to accomplish new big goals. But so much of training for that marathon that I that I ran my fastest time in, like so many things were happening that were out of my control. Um it kind of made running the marathon less stressful than it had ever been before in my life because it wasn't put on this pedestal as it had been in the past. And it must have also given you a vision of what's possible in the future to say like, Hey, if I can run a PR in these family conditions in all the situations that were going on, like what could I be, what am I possible? What am I capable of doing if I had like a two year block of training. Oh, totally. And I've thought about that so many times because I mean, truly it's been in six years, I've had four kids and two surgeries and an injury. And it's like, I think about that and I'm like, oh my gosh, in six years, all of that has happened. 
And like, honestly, if you really think about it, like that's, those are the six years that don't technically have to be, but what people would consider like your prime time of running because I'm 35 now. So like my early thirties, you know, like all of that happened in my early thirties. Um, I had my first baby when I was 29 or I guess I was almost 29. I was 28 still. But, um, since then all of that happened in those early thirties where people think like, Oh, that's when you're like really rocking and rolling. Um, and I hope, I don't know because I've never trained for marathons with four kids and doing things I'm doing now, but I hope that I run my fastest times in my, in my late thirties when I have like opportunity to build season upon season, if I have the energy for it. Um, but you know, I was looking through, I, I just got back on Strava. I, I kind of just like stopped get messing with Strava when I stopped running because there was really no point. And I just started logging runs again, um, like using my watch and stuff. And I'm going to upload my runs to Strava so people can follow along. And um, I was looking back through my training from for Monumental last year where I ran that 311. And if you really look at my times and you look at my big workouts, there weren't that many. Like there weren't that many huge long runs with marathon-paced effort. And um, – for the time that I ran, I look at the training and I'm like, man, that training didn't necessarily indicate that time. So yeah, it makes me excited to think if I can put in that work and then some and not have the emotional chaos that was going on at that point. Um, yeah, I think I could do really great things and run much faster than I ran. Yeah, it's fun looking at the old Strava workouts. I remember the podcast you did with Sarah Bishop, and you like were commiserating with her over when she like went back to Strava after like four years from being away and looked at like the first run. I was like, oh yeah, I remember going out there and did like a three mile tempo run at like nine minute pace. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and like and then here she is like winning the Marine Corps Marathon. Yeah, you know, five years later or whatever. Yeah, it is fun to look back on that stuff. And that's also fun, like, even though I said that those workouts weren't that big and um, I look at those times, like, I think that my biggest workout I did for Monumental, I did, I think I did eight miles at marathon pace in a 16-mile in a run. Like, I think that was my biggest workout. Um, and I did do a half marathon four weeks before the race where I was, like, trying to run faster than marathon effort, which I did, and that was was actually probably the biggest workout, but, um, you know, you see people now doing 10, 12, 14, 16, even 16 miles at marathon paced effort. So I don't think I'll ever do that because I don't think that running 16 miles at marathon pace in a long run is necessary. Um, and I don't think that, you know, at my level, I need to do that. Um, but just looking at, oh my gosh, eight miles at marathon pace in a 16 mile long run is not that huge of a workout that would indicate, you know, the time that I ran. So I'm excited. I'm excited to put bigger, harder, faster, stronger workouts in. And, you know, hopefully I think that my immediate goal will be to break 310 and then break 305 and then just kind of go from there. I did sign up for Boston this year, which is, um, in April, 2018 or 2019. Um, I do not think I'll be ready to run very fast uh, that soon, but it'll still be a fun experience to get my first postpartum marathon under my belt and see what happens. Yeah, I can imagine. I remember when you posted the, when you did the poll 
on your Instagram stories, like, should I go for it? I have to make a decision. Uh-huh. I was like immediately like, yes, you're going to totally regret it if you don't do that. Yeah. Um, obviously, if the weather behaves, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the huge asterisk there, but. Totally. And I, I'm kind of in the camp of uh, just going to Boston and running for fun anyway. So I like the idea of just going and celebrating and making it like a big fun experience, like meeting up with tons of people and just like experiencing the whole weekend, not caring about if I'm on my feet all day the day before and just running the race and enjoying it for what it is. And then, you know, being fit enough to run a marathon at a decent decent speed and then go from there and build from there and hopefully then the next fall um actually really put the work in and run a a faster marathon so likely monumental 2019 i love it now it's funny i i was in the same boat as you where like i would where even now i still fall into this default even though i know better now of like all right early to mid 30s that's prime time that's like you know, that's your peak. And once you pass your peak, good luck, right? Good luck improving. And it's funny because I think that's one of the biggest things that I've taken from my show is the people who I've interviewed who have not only like bucked that trend, but like done it in a very violent way. Like they've like completely upended that, you know, that, um, just that, that line of thinking, whether it's like Jenny Hitchings or Molly Friel, who like do amazing things in their 50s, or even people who were like at age 42 will go out and run like a 315 and they started running when they were 35. Yeah. And you're like, man, like that's crazy. Um, and so like one of the things where for me, it's I so easily default into that thinking. But now I look at it and I'm like, shoot, man, like I really don't have an excuse here. Like there's no, there's nothing stopping me from running fast times besides like my own work habits and, you know, willpower. Yeah. I mean, you're the only thing stopping yourself besides recording podcasts at 9 PM on a weeknight. I mean, you could be sleeping and resting (laughs) for your workout in the morning right now. Priorities, Lynn. Priorities. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, it's all like, it's all what your life experiences are, right? Like, Maybe my prime time would have been my early 30s, but guess what? It wasn't because I was having babies and surgery and things like that. So, like, for me personally, my prime is probably going to be my late 30s to early 40s, and that's totally fine. But, um, yeah, it just depends on whatever whatever um, situations have been thrown at you or you've gotten yourself into in your life that dictates that, really. That's for sure. So – over the course of all of the interviews that you've done, how would you approach your, like the 25 year olds, Lindsay Hine, if you had to do it all over again from a running perspective, like, oh my what, gosh. how would you change your training back then knowing what you know now? That's so funny because I, after I signed up for Boston, I realized that it was 10 years since I ran my first Boston, which was when I was 25 because I'll be 35. I am 35. I'll be 35 when I run it this year. It, it's just crazy. Like I, now I look back and I'm like, I didn't even realize how young I was. I didn't even realize, you know, I just think about that all the time. I'm like, man, I was only 25 when I ran that race. Um, I would tell myself to uh, calm down. And not be so nervous when you go run marathons and enjoy the experience for what it was and, and not make, uh, not make it 
such a focus. I mean, here's the deal. Like I remember back then I would, you know, if I had like a 20 mile run in the morning, I didn't even know what I was doing at that point. I was, it was, you know, my Boston was my second marathon and I would just like, I would get up in the morning. I would get all nervous Friday night before like a 20 mile run on Saturday morning. And it would almost like ruin my Friday night because I would be so caught up and like, Oh, you have to get up and run 20 miles in the morning. You better be rested for that. And yeah, I still feel like I want some rest if I'm going to do a big workout in the morning because it feels better. But, um, I've really got not a lot of control over that at this point because I don't know who's going to be waking me up in the middle of the night, who's going to be sick or what's going to happen. Um, and let's be honest, like you don't need as much sleep when you're 25 as you do when you're 35, but you're getting a lot more sleep at 25 because you don't have 12 kids waking you up all night. Um, so, but so I would just tell myself to just like not be so uptight about it and just relax. Now, did you, you know, you mentioned before how like you weren't really sure what you were doing in a way. Um, what, how would you alter the training at all? considering all the coaches and people you've talked to and all the different things that you've learned. And while some of those may be contradictory, because you know, you learn from so many people sure. everyone has their own kind of their own way of approaching things. Are there certain ways to train that have really stuck with you? Well, it, you know, I don't, so I don't think I personally like ever seriously trained for a marathon until I trained for that shamrock marathon in 2013 when I ran the 313. Cause I, I think of that. I was so for instance, like Glenn and I used to just run based on time, which is a fine way to run, but you know, like we didn't have GPS watches and we would just like, <laughs> we, this is kind of funny, which is actually, this is probably why I did qualify for Boston on my first marathon. Cause I was probably more prepared than I realized. Um, we would run based on time. And so we would be like, Oh, we have to run 20 miles. And so we just go run for three hours. And now look, and I didn't know what my mile per pace was or anything like that. But now looking back, I'm probably like in three hours, I was probably running more like 22 miles, you know, multiple times for that first marathon. So, um, I don't think I would change anything, uh, for the, the, the first, you know, marathon I ran, the second marathon I ran, I did, I did that run less, run faster. Have you ever done that plan? No. Yeah. It was like a real popular plan. I think, I, I think runners world had a book or something. I don't even remember. I had the book though. And it was run only run three days a week. And then you do cross training, um, a couple days a week. Well, I was like really bad about doing the cross training. <laughs> so it was like a long run, an easy run and a hard run every week. And, that's what I did to train for my first Boston. And it was horrible experience. I just was like not prepared at all. And it wasn't the right training method for me. Um, and then from it's, like, the- it's like a, it's like a triathlon training program. We just take out the bike and the swim. It's, it's exactly right. That's right. That's what I did. So I was just like not in shape basically. Cause I was only working out three days a week. Um, I probably got on the elliptical, you know, once a week or something. Um, but then to be completely honest, um, all the other marathons I did until that 313 that I ran, I just, I, it wasn't even training. I was just running, honestly. Like, I, I don't even think I was following training plans. I would just, like, consistently stay in shape to be able to run a marathon. And in between marathons, I would just make sure I had, like, 16-mile long runs in. That's, this is how I've ran 15 marathons but only seriously trained for, like, two or three. 
Um, I would just stay in long distance running shape, but wasn't taking things too seriously. So I don't think I would say I would change much. I would just, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I would have trained more seriously sooner before I had all these kids because I had more freedom then. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, it, it's, it's nice to know that like you really approached the, the beginning, the first couple marathons in a way that you don't necessarily regret. And it sounds like you were running a lot, three hours on your feet. There's a long time. I know I'm, I'm thinking back now and I'm like, I don't know what I was running. I just had no idea. Like we would just leave downtown Indy. That's where we, we lived right downtown at the time. And we would just run North for an hour and a half and run back home. And we would both have our iPods like, and we wouldn't even really talk to each other much. We just listen to music and then we'd get back and it'd be three hours. And so now I think like if I ran for three hours now, I don't, what is that mile pace? I don't even know. It's, it's way longer than what I was, I was running way longer than 20 miles for sure. And, and now I personally don't do runs longer than 20 miles in my marathon training. I know a lot of people do. And sometimes I even coach people and give them 22 mile runs. But for me, I don't do longer than 20 miles. I just, I don't like it. Um, I don't think it's super beneficial for me. I think it's beneficial for some people, but I don't think it's beneficial for me. So, um, yeah, it's funny thinking that I was running that far back then. And it's especially tough if you're someone who's running 10 minute miles. Yeah, that's because a like, long right, time. You're, you're running like 20 miles. You're like, wait, I'm running. Wait, how, how far am I running? You know, like I'm going to be running for four and a half hours. Like, oh, good grief. You know, that's like, that's a huge toll to take. Well, and that's interesting. Some coaches would have runners who run that slow of a pace, not even do a 20 mile run. But then you hear from coaches uh, like Jeff Galloway, for instance, I talked to him one time and he he has runners do almost, if not 26 miles before the actual marathon, no matter how fast or slow you are, which I think is crazy. Um, but he is like, you know, they are him and his wife. I talked to them. I went to the Donna marathon last year and, um, had dinner with them and some other people and they were like preaching that. And I was thinking, Oh, really? I never even would consider running that far. I know the elite runners do, but I wouldn't consider it. And I especially wouldn't consider it if I was running a 12 minute mile or a 10 minute mile. Um, but I, that's a method that they believe in. So, I mean, yeah, there's so many different coaching philosophies and, and here's, here's what it boils down to in my opinion is that, um, you might have one coaching philosophy, um, and someone else might have a completely different coaching philosophy, but look, your philosophy might not work on every single person you're coaching. So I think that that's what makes a really great coach is knowing that like you can adapt those thoughts, uh, based on who your runner is. Yeah. Cause you have to be flexible. Yeah. You're, 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 you're not programming a robot. Right. Like not everybody can handle that high mileage and not everybody's body receives um, those hard workouts as well. And it's just, it's, it's paying attention to how, how people are reacting to the workouts they're doing. And, and some people are more injury prone. I mean, that's just it. So um, yeah, you just have to take each person as a, as a unique case. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And 
in the conversations that we've had over the last six months or so, one thing that's been abundantly clear is that you have a very strong like entrepreneurial spirit. Like you're very yes. much in the entrepreneurial world in Indianapolis. Um, you know, you're at these different like speaking engagements, especially for like women in entrepreneurship. So I know you're always like envisioning the next thing or five things like mm-hmm. building an Airbnb spot in your house, <laughs> you, know, you know, while, while doing all these other things that we've already <laughs> mentioned. Um, so I know you're thinking about this stuff all the time. So what is your vision for your show three years from now? Ooh, three years. Well, I'd like to like, I'd like, to, I really want my show to grow, you know, like I want it to reach more people, um, not just for the business side of things. Of course, I want it to grow for the business side of things. I'd be an idiot if I said I didn't want it to grow for that reason. Um, but also just because I really believe in um, the conversations that I'm having and the message that's getting out to people and um, more than anything, like the positivity. And that's when I put my show out I and I, I hit publish after I've edited it through, like my hope is that like it makes somebody's day better. It makes them happier. It makes them laugh. It makes them smile. It makes them motivated to do something um, that they maybe didn't believe that they could do before they listened. Um, so I want it to grow for that reason too. I want it to reach more ears. And and that's not me necessarily bringing that message to people. It's the people who I choose to bring on my show, you know, that I think can bring that message of positivity. Um, and I, I hope that it opens doors to more speaking opportunities, you know, like um, I'm not going to be shy and say, that I don't wish this, like, I would love for, you know, like the Boston marathon people to reach out to me and be like, we'd love for you to be a speaker at our expo, like things like that. Like I want those opportunities to reach more people and, um, just to talk to more people. I, I love, I love speaking to a crowd. It like fires me up and gets me excited. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that my biggest hope is that it continues to grow and I'm excited about that. Coming from the person who was afraid of public speaking in high school, now yes. dying for more public speaking engagements. I love it. it. The growth that you've had on the show, it really is remarkable. I know we both have the same exact like, physical, like guttural reaction every time someone starts our show and goes, I'm starting from the first episode. You're like, no, oh, yeah. no don't please do it. don't. don't, do it. don't, don't go do back it. there. Like Laura Anderson's great, but don't listen to that. Um, I don't even know that hers is my worst though. She's my very first interview. And it, I, I don't say worse because she was bad. She's great. Um, but just cause I didn't know what I was doing, but it's funny that you bring that up because I'm going to have Emily Enfeld's going to come back on the show. And I haven't, she was one of my first elite runners to ever come on. And she was like episode 20 something. And so in prepping for, when I'm going to talk with her again, which I think is next Monday, I thought, Oh, I'll go listen back to what we talked about. And I had to turn it off like 10 minutes in. I was like, I can't listen. I can't do it. I know exactly. It's like cringing, hearing myself talk in circles. Yeah, absolutely. I've been there every (laughs) single time. I know exactly what you mean. All right. So before we get into the last, you know, few quick questions, Uh I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and thank you for your show. I look forward to it every Friday morning. Um, it has the effect on me that you just mentioned that you hope it has on people. So I definitely look forward to it. So thank you for doing that. Um, and thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. 
Well, I'm honored to be one of your guests. I've, I've known several of the guests that you've had on. And so I am really excited to join that group of people. And, you know, I appreciate the camaraderie we have. I think that it's really important with um, people in your industry that instead of like competing with them, that you cheer them on and you support them. And um, I think that you're do, you do a really good job of that to me. And I appreciate that so much. I appreciate um, I appreciate you listening to my show, first of all, so much. And, um, I just like, I like having someone that, um, you know, we can have a little like friendly, like we do the same thing, but we fully support each other. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. Cause there's not a lot of people I can talk to about the podcast, like the ins and outs of it, which is always fun to like do a little download with you, uh, on some of these topics. And, um, and you've always been so so supportive of people who are starting podcasts it's like it really is nice to see i know you're always out there like start a podcast start a podcast i don't care what you like start a podcast yeah i I like seeing people do it because it's changed my life a lot and i know that it can change other people's lives and there's no reason not to if you want to do it here here i completely agree all right so last last couple questions before we get going when you're going on a run are you wearing headphones or no headphones um, headphones, but not if I'm pushing my stroller. That makes sense. Yeah. You got to make sure you're, you're aware of the sippy cup falls. Well, I use that. Um, have you heard of the, the oh, I'm going to forget what they're called while I'm on this podcast, which is annoying, but I have aftershocks. A, no, I have a speaker that oh. hooks up to your Bluetooth and it, um, then you can listen to podcasts or music. And I just like set it on the stroller and my kids love it too. Cause then they can hear the music too. Um, and it's just a safer way to run. Actually I've used it when I'm by myself too. And it's like, you're running with like a speaker, which is kind of funny and people look at you weird, but it's safer cause you don't have music like right in your ears. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe it. So what are you listening to? Oh, when I run. Yeah. Oh, I, I listen to a lot of rap music when I run I love like I listen to like Tupac and Bone Thugs and like old school rap but I also listen to like Kanye and Jay-Z and and uh that kind of stuff but yeah like if I'm really running especially if I'm doing a workout like okay so here's the thing if I'm doing a workout outside I don't listen to music if I'm doing a workout on the treadmill which I do actually really like to do workouts on treadmills I like to do mile repeats on the treadmill and things like that, um, I will listen to music and it's most definitely going to be rap music if I'm doing a hard workout. I love the Bone Thugs reference. It's like brings me back to middle school. Oh yeah, Notorious Thugs. It's Bone and Biggie, Biggie. I love that song so much. I listen to it all the time on my runs. It's on every workout playlist I have. Oh my God. See, I had the first Bone Thugs in Harmony CD yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, it might have even been a tape. I, gotta, I can't lie. It might have been a tape. Oh yeah, for sure. Because um, yeah, we had this movie, we had this TV station called the box did you all have that no well it was like this random it was like this random channel that like not a lot of people had but in rhode island we had it and it was like you basically would call up and request it was like just a request line so like (laughs) i think the only people who watched the channel were like bone thugs and harmony fans because it was like every third song (laughs) was bone thugs and harmony i was like I really like this. This is great. Like, I don't have to stay up on Friday nights for Young TV raps. I can just watch the box all the time. <laughs> and like, it was only like, it only lasted like six months, but it was, it was a great six months. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, all right. So what is some advice 
that you give others about running, but you have trouble following? Oh, um, well, I'm a big stickler on like pre and post run stretches and lunges and things like that. And I am sometimes bad about uh, doing my post run active stretching, which I hope that nobody, hopefully nobody listened to that I could, that I coach is listening to this because they're going to be like, what? You get after me at that all the time. I think it's very important. Um, I suggest doing, I have this like specific routine that I suggest doing after every single run. And I probably do it after like 70% of my runs. So that's still pretty good though, right? Yeah, I would say so. I know you mentioned before that, that Glenn does it after like 100% of his runs. Oh, yeah. He doesn't miss it. And he, he is also the foam rolling king. Like he does it all. And I'm telling you, he is hardly ever injured. He did have a little bit of a hip injury um, this past training for Boston, which significantly affected his race. But let's be honest, it didn't really matter anyway because of the weather. His race wouldn't have been super fast regardless. But, um, yeah, he is really good about doing those, like, post-run, like, take care of business type things. Side note on Glenn, every once in a while, I'll put a little poll out there on Instagram. It's like, hey, who should I be interviewing? Because sometimes you just sometimes you just don't know who you don't know. And yeah. it's easy to get, like, kind of stuck in your own little bubble. And I've had a number of people request Glenn Hines. <gasps> Stop. That's hilarious. I swear to God. And I'm, like, I start dying laughing every time. Like, he's already been on Lindsay's show, like, six different times. Do you think he times. would do it? I don't know. Do you, you should do it. Will you? Would you do it? I think you should do it. He's, like... He's so funny because he's like so not on social media anymore. You know, this is before you and I were friends. He, did you know he used to be on Twitter? No. Yeah, he was hardcore on Twitter back in the day. Um, he actually even had Instagram for a minute, uh, w- way long time ago. Um, but he got off Twitter probably over two years ago, and or maybe just around two years ago, and has never looked back. But the thing about it is, is he. Though he's not on social media, he very much understands the culture because of me, you know? Oh, yeah, because you have to be. Yeah, I have to be. And he gets it. He's great, too. He doesn't get annoyed, you know, like sometimes I'll be like, let me take a picture of this and that. And he totally is 100% supportive of my podcast and everything. Um, But, yeah, like I have to do social media and I enjoy it. Um, You should interview him. I would actually, actually, I would love that so much because – uh, when I talk to him and we do like Patreon episodes together and stuff, it's just totally different because I'm his wife. Yeah, your Patreon episodes are good. So I'm a Patreon subscriber. I know. Go be a Patreon so subscriber, everybody. You should do it. Some good stuff on there, especially recently. I love these like post post episode follow up like, follow up questions. They're all good. Yeah. So that was that was a, that was a smart move. That was that was a nice wrinkle. I'm trying to perfect Patreon. It's like been this like long process of like figuring out what um, would be best. And, you know, it's like Patreon's an interesting beast. I know you recently joined and it's like, I actually, I actually stopped it. Oh, you stopped it. it I got like, I got like 14 people. And after like three months, I'm like, this is not worth worth the mental energy. I'm like, all right, y'all, I'm shutting it down. Like, you're still getting your free swag. Don't worry. I shouldn't say it's free. They, they, they paid monthly. But it was like, I'm sending you your swag. No worries. But, like, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking it out. Like, this isn't just going to this isn't gonna fly anymore. Yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. But the thing is, is, like, I think you have some people that are supporting on Patreon 
because they're like, man, I listen to this show every week. It's almost, it's, it's almost a guaranteed hour every week. I like it. I appreciate it. I know how much work is going to it. That's why I'm supporting Patreon. But then you have people that are supporting Patreon because they legitimately more so care about the bonus content. I mean, I think everybody like wants the bonus content, but some people that that's not as big of a deal to them. So there's this fine balance. And I'm, I, I think that for me, making my Patreon page better would be um, being more predictable about when my episodes come out. Cause right now I'm like, I give at least one bonus episode a month on Patreon, but I should streamline it where I'm like every second Tuesday, you know, you're getting your Patreon episode. And then every fourth Tuesday, you know, you're getting your bonus questions with the, the, the past guests. So, you know, it's a work in progress for sure, but man, I appreciate the Patreon supporters so much because you know, this thing is a lot of work. You're doing it. Is. It, it is. And like, you know, it's also something that like, you know, this is, this is your, this is your J-O-B now. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, sure. this is the real deal for you. And so maybe, you know, maybe throw in some more bachelor episodes, right? I saw that was, <laughs> that had a short run lens. I gotta be honest. Like, like that, you, you, you went for it and then it died a quick death. <laughs> this is true. I did one, I did one bachelor episode. I know for sure. I'm, you had high hopes. You're like, we're going to do this all the time. Yep. This is going to be a thing. <laughs> no, not really. No, it fell through. No, I, I'm going to work on um, making Patreon even more exciting for the people over there that are supporting because man, you know, I, you talk about the people that listen to your show every week and those are your people, but like the, the people, people are the Patreon supporters. Cause they're like putting their money behind you. It's a big deal. And it's, it's, I'm really grateful for those people. I'm grateful for all of my listeners, though. No, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. All right. So if you could run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would it be? Mm. Well, for simplicity reasons, I'd probably just do Monumental Marathon. I love the race, but it's also, like, right out my front door. Um, and, you know, there's nothing – more fun than running in your local community where you're going to see tons of people on the course along the way. And, um, you know, monumental marathon is not a massive race like New York or Chicago, but, uh, that finishing stretch is still really fun because there's quite a few people lined up and, um, the odds of you knowing a lot of those people because you're in your hometown are really high. And so, um, it's really motivating to get through a marathon knowing that you're going to see people you know at the finish line and you're about to enter a really proud moment yeah i've I've had that same experience and while i've never run a good marathon it definitely lifts you up even in those bad moments are you are you training for a marathon right now no i'm not okay i'm not not crossing off the list per se but yeah well you said you've never run a good one you gotta you gotta make that happen yeah it's on the it's on the list okay you got to do it. It's on the list. It's, it's, it's long, long-term, long-term thinking, you know, so maybe a year or 18 months from now. Okay. We'll see. I'll be looking for it. Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm going to like, just kind of sneak up on it. I'm trying not to do like the, the quick four month plan. So yes. James, James McCurdy and I are thinking that was my, always my issue. I was always like too quick. Into okay. It. Okay. So you're, so now I'm like, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm not even driving the car anymore. Like James is driving the car. But it's like the car in driver's ed class and I'm in the passenger <laughs> seat slamming on the driver's ed brake all the time in terms of like what races we should be doing. I'm like, no, 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 no more races. No more races. We'll do, we'll do one in January. It's fine. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
Um, all right. Other end of the spectrum. What is a bucket list race that you'd love to do? Who? Um, let's see here. Maybe I think that I'd like to do just like a really like big sur or something like that. Just like a, a, a you know what? I, I want to do a 50 miler. I take that back. Big sur would be fun. But um, sometime in the next couple of years, I, I definitely want to do a 50 miler. And that's something I've never done more than the marathon distance. So, um, yeah, I'll do a 50K first probably. Or actually, no, I probably won't because I don't know how many ultras I want to do. Um, but I want, I want to do a 50 miler. I don't know which one, though. Um, one on trails for sure. I don't want to do like, you know, the road ones are cool. But um, my husband's done a couple on the trails. And I just I want to experience that side of running. Oh, interesting. I didn't think you were going to go there. That's exciting. Yeah, I want to do that. And I, I mean, I think because it's not nearly as competitive as like road marathons, I think that I could probably like place kind of well in a smaller race. And I think I like that. I like that excitement side of things. I know that the the trail running community um, at the non kind of elite level, like, you know, the non Western states type level isn't as like, competitive as you know when you tow the line of a road marathon um but i like to think that that relaxed atmosphere and nature would feel really good and fun and still i would still be able to have that like competitive edge like i want to place high for the females you know right and you say hey glenn you're you're pacing me in buddy oh 100 percent, yeah like if i do a 50 he is running side by side with me for sure there you go. Because you need someone like that, right? It's just in case, like, things are going terrible. You can just scream at them and not feel guilty afterwards. Well, I just don't want to get lost. And I, it's kind of like how I go through life with him. And I'm totally not ashamed to say this. Like, I'm totally fine with him leading the way. And um, that's, you know, may, maybe it sounds sexist of me. But, like, that's just uh, – I'm cool with that. I'm cool with him taking charge on things like that. And uh, if we're out running in a trail race, I'm totally fine with saying – don't get me lost. I'm following you. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Speaking of that, that's like ties me into the, the last question. Who is your dream running partner? Oh, well, this is so corny, but like probably my husband, honestly, like, um, I just, I like running with him because we, um, we don't get a ton of time to talk just one-on-one with each other because once he gets home from work until the kids go to bed, it's like, um, can everybody just be quiet? So like we can say three words to each other. And so, (laughs) you know, you know, yes, yes, I definitely know. And so when we have the opportunity to go run by ourselves without pushing strollers, it's just like, that's really the most time we get to just be the two of us. And it's, that's, that's who I'd prefer to do most of my runs with if I could. There you go. So you're living the dream. literally kind of but we don't you know like we don't get to run together that much i mean and when we do we are pushing strollers so we don't i don't yeah yeah, i mean uh occasionally like my mom you know if it's a weekend we'll like drive down bloomington she'll watch the kids or we'll pay for babysitting at the y or we will pay a babysitter just so we can go run together but um a lot of times we're tag teaming and like he goes and then i go yeah i hear you Lindsay, thank you so much for for all of this. We went way over an hour. I really appreciate the time and everything you're doing. So 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for producing such a great show. And I'm honored that you asked me to be on it. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Talk again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lindsay, for coming on the show. This was so much fun. I always have a great time talking with you about all things running and podcast related. Normally, our conversations don't go nearly an hour and a half. So this was certainly an unexpected pleasure. You know, usually these podcasts don't go this long. And normally our conversations are much shorter. Uh, but this was absolutely fantastic. Also, a big shout out to my friends over at Megaton Coffee. You can go visit them at megatoncoffee.com. It's fantastic tasting coffee with twice the caffeine, which means you'll only need one cup in the morning instead of two cups of coffee sloshing around in your belly. It also means that your dollar goes a little farther when you buy a pound of their coffee versus someone else if you're only going to be using half the grinds that you normally would. So check them out, megatoncoffee.com. I'm a huge fan. So thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Megaton. And thank you, the listeners, for listening to this show and for tagging me when you share an episode. It's wonderful to see uh, the feedback, and hopefully you like what you hear. But if you don't, Feel free to share uh, any thoughts, suggestions, or possible guests. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running.